SOS Radio On Demand. It changed my heart. On Demand. It changes your life. Thanks for downloading Scott Harold's podcast. To say this past year has been interesting would be a huge understatement, right? And we're talking about the resurrection, and this Easter feels different, doesn't it? We're talking with Greg Laurie. He leads Harvest Christian Fellowship in Southern California. He's led Harvest Crusades for decades. And Greg's a lot of times we think we're celebrating the cross, right? But what we're really celebrating is the resurrection on Sunday. This is when Jesus actually overcame death and stepped into our place. Well, you know, it's, for lack of a better term, it's a package deal. You know, Jesus came to die and rise again. That was his primary purpose in coming to this earth. When Jesus died on the cross, he conquered sin. When he rose from the dead, he conquered death. And so he talked about it repeatedly as he spent time with his disciples. He would say the Son of Man is going to be betrayed, crucified, and he'll rise again on the third day. So, you know, this is what he always came to do. You find it spoken of in the Old Testament. You find it fulfilled in the New Testament. Uh, He's in the Old Testament concealed. He's in the New Testament revealed. This was the plan from the very beginning, going way back into the councils of eternity, where the Bible says that God had already planned that all of this would happen for us because he loves each and every one of us. Now, Greg, when you think about resurrection, you think about the hope that we need through the crazy world that we've been living in. And I know you, you've lost a son. I know, you know, we've had just so much trauma through this last year, year and a half as a country. It's like when you think about resurrection this year, what's been bringing the hope front and center for you, Greg? Well, tomorrow is going to be 13 years. Our son has been in heaven for 13 years, but Tomorrow is a celebration of his birthday, and he would have been 47 years old today. And, you know, even though it's been a number of years since he was called to heaven unexpectedly, you know, it's still very hard for us. But my hope is in the simple fact that I will see him again, that death is not the end. It's not the end of the road. It's a break in the road. But the road continues into the afterlife, and we don't think about that enough. We think So much of this life, maybe we should even call it the before life, which is relatively short compared to eternity and the afterlife. So one of the great things that came as a result of the death and resurrection of Jesus is that we will see our loved ones again. You know, after Jesus rose, he appeared to his disciples multiple times in the upper room, on the Emmaus Road, appearing to 500 at one time. And it's interesting how he sort of picked up where he left off. In fact, uh, one passage has Jesus approaching the disciples after he's risen, and they see him, and he says, hello, hail, is the King James translation, but it was a common greeting of the day, almost like, hey, guys, how are you? Good to see you again. I love the casualness of it, but the fact is, because Jesus died and rose again, we too will have special resurrection bodies that God will give us, and we will see our loved ones again. We have God's word on this. We're talking with Greg Laurie today at SWIS Radios. We're celebrating Easter week. and It's so wild because in our world, we don't want to talk about sin, but sin always brings collateral damage. And, you know, we think about those tough questions that are almost impossible to answer about, like, why do bad things happen to good people? And we've got to own the fact that there's sin in the world, and that's what Jesus dealt with this week. Well, that's very true. Coming back to my son, when he was called home to heaven, I spent a lot of time in the beginning asking why. 
And I just realized there came a point where asking why was absolutely useless. So I started asking what and who, as in, well, what do I do and who do I turn to? Well, I turned to the Lord. He's the one who got me through that time of mourning. He's the one who gets me through each and every day. He's the one who will safely deliver me into the Father's arms. And the what is, well, what do I do with it? Well, what I do is I I take what I've gone through and use it to encourage others. I had a person write me that listens to our radio broadcast in the beginning. They said, I would have given up hope, but I, I heard your story of your son, and it helped me continue on because my husband had died. And, you know, I... I don't know what it's like to lose a spouse, but I know what it's like to lose a child. And it's devastating. And so I think when someone can see somebody else who has somehow come through it and live to tell the story, if you will, that gives them hope that they can get through it. And indeed we can. God will carry us through whatever valley we may be in right now. And as David said in Psalm 23, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. He's walking through it. And then he said, because you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So whatever valley a person is going through right now, they need to remember that God is with them if they're a Christian. Everything I'm saying is for the believer only. So if you put your faith in Christ, you can be confident that God is with you in your time of crisis. And he can even bring good despite how difficult it was because we have the promise of Romans 8, 28, that says God causes all things to work together for good to those that love him. It doesn't say God will make bad things good, because there are things that are bad and they'll always will be bad. But it says good will come despite the bad. That's the promise of God to the Christian. Biographers have called Billy Graham among the most influential Christian leaders of the 20th century, but despite like how popular he was, there have been so many opportunities where Billy Graham has been able to share the hope of Jesus. And We're talking about those who have actually walked with Billy Graham and known Billy Graham personally and have been influenced by Billy Graham, and one of those is Greg Laurie, and he's on the phone with us today at Swiss Radio. Greg, you decided you wanted to write a book about Billy Graham because a lot of people didn't know him personally, and There's such a richer story to who he is than just what we've read about him. Yes, it's certainly true, Scott. Now, I would say that Billy Graham was the greatest evangelist in human history, not just of the 20th century. Now, of course, I'm accepting the apostle. I'm talking about (laughs) those that followed in their footsteps. But of the great evangelists that have come on the scene, like D.L. Moody or Billy Sunday or many others, I think Billy was the most effective. And so his life is worth examining. But I think what's also significant about Billy is he was a man of integrity. There weren't two Billy Grahams. The public Billy Graham was the same as the private. He was a gracious, humble, down-to-earth guy with a lot of wit and uh, a very tender heart. And so I originally was going to call the book Billy Graham, The Making of an American Icon, because I wrote two other books, kind of spiritual biographies, one in Steve McQueen called Steve McQueen. Uh, the Salvation of an American Icon. Then I wrote Johnny Cash, The Redemption of an American Icon. So I was going to write the third in the series, Billy Graham, The Making of an American Icon. But his son Franklin, who's a good friend of mine, suggested to me I not call it that. And he said, you know, Daddy would never want anybody to call him an icon. He said, why don't you just call it Billy Graham, the man that I knew? And I said, 
that's an excellent title. So that's what it's called. And so it was my privilege to spend time with Billy. As he was ending his crusade ministry, I was just starting mine. We really became friends around 1985, so I was in my late 30s. And he wanted help with his messages in the area of illustrations and reaching younger people. So it was my privilege to help Billy in his research and work in his sermons. And I'll tell you, the greatest joy I've ever known is when I'd hear Billy use something I actually wrote for him. <laughs> and, uh, and But, you know, that meant that I spent time with him, you know, hours with him, had meals with him. And, of course, I just barraged him with constant questions because Billy Graham was like Mr. History. You know, he knew people I only read about. He knew every president from Truman to Barack Obama, and actually he knew Donald Trump as well. So every president from Truman, I don't know if he knew President Biden or not, but I'm sure they met somewhere. But he was a chaplain to them, a pastor to them. He knew Golda Meir, the prime minister of Israel. He Muhammad Ali came to his house and had lunch. Bono came over to his house and read poetry to Ruth. You know, he knew Winston Churchill. And so I talk about a lot of this in my book, his encounters with people, how he influenced them. So when I was with Billy, I felt I'm shaking hands with Mr. History here, and I'm going to learn as much as I possibly can learn. So what's one of the messages that Billy challenged you with as you were starting the Harvest Crusade part of your ministry? One thing comes to mind is I was sitting in Billy's house in Montreat, North Carolina, with him and his wife, Ruth, and his son, Franklin. And after we were done eating, I turned to Billy and I said, Billy, if an older Billy Graham could speak to a younger Billy Graham, what would you tell yourself to preach on more? And without missing a beat, he says, I would preach more on the cross of Christ and the blood of Christ, because that's where the power is. You know, and I thought, wow, how amazing, because... In fact, he preached a lot about the cross and a lot about the blood, but Billy understood that his message to be effective needed to be simple. I heard him talking about how he gave a message to some university students, and afterwards someone said, you know, we feel like the students weren't understanding what you were saying. So Billy went back and worked on his message harder because it takes more effort to be simple than it does to be complex. And I think the good takeaway lesson for us as Christians is when we share the gospel, you know, lose the Christianese, lose all the, you know, the theological terminology and put it into the language of everyday people so they can understand what you're saying. Billy understood that from the beginning, middle, and to the very end of his ministry. He kept it simple, and he always preached the cross and talked about the blood of Jesus that was shed for us on that cross. We're talking about friendship with Greg Laurie today at Swiss Radio. Just a couple of minutes ago, he was talking about his friendship with Billy Graham, so much so that he just wrote a new book about that. But forming close-knit friendships with guys as adults, it's not easy, Greg. I mean, you think about like how many of us don't have those trusted friends that we can call in 2 in the morning when tragedy happens. You think about our families, like we're us as a husband and our wife and us together and our kids having those close-knit friends families that we can go do things with. So many guys don't put the stock and the time in investing in those relationships, but what have you learned about their importance? Well, I think we need relationships, you know, for so many reasons. I mean, we're really designed by God for communication, for fellowship, for interaction. We're social creatures. That's why this lockdown has been so 
awful and had such a dramatic effect on so many lives with self-harm going up over 300%, drug use, alcohol use, all through the ceiling because people are despondent. They want to be together. And one of the great joys I had in, you know, spending time with Billy Graham was he was a very easygoing guy. He was uh, very approachable. And the funny thing is when you'd sit down with Billy Graham, what he would often say is, tell me about yourself. You know, a lot of people who are famous or successful will want to talk about themselves and tell stories about themselves. And they're the hero of every story. Billy Graham was literally the opposite of that. He would not talk about his accomplishments, and he would want to learn about you and know more about you. And and it was not a fake thing. He really had a genuine interest in other people. So, you know, I thought I want to capture him, if I can, and present him to a, a younger generation. You know, a younger generation that have heard the name Billy Graham mentioned, but who is Billy Graham? And I wanted to present him as a flesh and blood guy, not a perfect guy. He was a sinner like everybody else, but he is without question the most godly man I ever met. Both you and Billy Graham have both done evangelistic events of your own and your own different styles and through different ages of American history. But Greg, it's interesting when you see like the East Coast from the West Coast, do you see a different spiritual climate? It's interesting because like on the East Coast, that's where everything started. And so many people on the East Coast set their calendar of the week centered around the church at certain points of American history. And in the South, it was the same thing. But on the West Coast, it seems like it's always been a little different where people might call the East Coast, you know, post-Christian. Do you see the West Coast as post-Christian? Do you see it almost as pre-Christian? Because there's a lot of things that haven't emerged where people were really centering their life around the church in the ways that they did in the 17 and 1800s. Well, I think there's always hope for a fresh move of God. And in fact, the last great spiritual awakening happened in Southern California. It was called the Jesus Movement. I wrote a book about that, too, called Jesus Revolution. And that revival affected all of the country. It went from the West Coast across the country to the East Coast, even went abroad. And in some historians believe it was not only the last great American revival They believe it was the greatest of all American revivals because of its long-lasting impact. So I think there's always hope, and we need to always be praying that God would send another spiritual awakening to our nation. And I think we're really due for one right now, don't you? Absolutely. Well, I saw that Jim Gaffigan and Joel Courtney are actually going to do a movie about that. Yeah, they're going to make a film out of my book called Jesus Revolution, The Irwin Brothers who directed I Still Believe and I Can Only Imagine. And uh, so Jim Gaffigan was cast in the role of Chuck Smith, and Joel (laughs) Corton was cast in the role of a very young Greg Laurie. But I don't know if Jim is still part of this project now. So a lot changed after COVID hit. So I think they're recasting some of those things. And so it kind of is up in the air who's going to play who. But we're hopefully going to start filming this summer. God willing, we'll see what happens. So with all of that said, Greg, tell me a little bit about your faith story and how Chuck Smith and Calvary Chapel and the whole Jesus revolution shaped your story. Well, I I came to Christ right in the middle of the Jesus movement, and I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't plan on becoming a Christian. It was on my high school campus, and 
there were some very outspoken Christians who would have Bible studies out there on the front lawn and do sing praise songs. And I thought they were all collectively crazy. But the problem was a few of them had been friends of mine from the past. I'd partied with them even, and I thought, why would they believe this? Why would they change so dramatically? So one day I sat close enough to sort of eavesdrop on their conversation, but not so close that I you know, wouldn't be thought of as one of them on my high school campus. So, But I, I heard the gospel in the first time in an understandable way, and that's the day I accepted Christ into my life. It was 1970, and I was 17 years old. I went after that to Calvary Chapel, where the Jesus movement was in full bloom. So I didn't know that I'd walked into the middle of a spiritual awakening, but actually I had. And so I had a front row seat to a real move of God, and, you know, it dramatically impacted my life. A couple of years later, I was doing a Bible study up in Riverside that turned into a church, and I'm still pastoring today, closing in on 50 years. And and then we started our crusade ministry about 33 years ago in stadiums, and we're hoping to do some more in the future. But, uh, you know, one thing just led to another. The Lord's been in control, guiding our steps. But it's been quite a wild ride, I have to say. But very exciting. Thanks for listening to the SOS Radio Podcast with Scott Harold. If this discussion encouraged you, feel free to share it with your friends on social media.